Hi, and welcome to the Dismantle Racism Show, where our goal is to educate, eradicate, and to dismantle racism. We really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. We're going to begin our show, as always, to take a moment just to center ourselves to enter into this space. And so I invite you, if you would, to close your eyes, if you feel comfortable, to plant your feet on the floor or the grounds, wherever you may be, and just take a moment to find your breath and breathe in and out and tune into that which gives you life. Just breathe in and out, recognizing that your breath is your divine wisdom. It's your sacred intelligence. It's that thing that prompts you to manifest your greatness while you help others to do the same. So just breathe in and out, connecting with your source, whatever that source is for you. Connecting with life. Remind yourself that you are love and you are loved unconditionally and divinely created. Breathing in and out, understanding that you have the power to change the status quo. You are uniquely designed to offer your gifts to the world. And so breathe in and out, connecting with who you are. Just breathe in and out. Understanding that the power of one contributes to the power of community. Breathe in and out knowing that we are all interconnected. And we are powerful beyond belief. So take a deep breath in. Sigh it out. And let's begin. I recently had the opportunity to visit the Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad Byway. And I want to encourage you that if you are ever in Cambridge, Maryland, or anywhere in that area, please make sure that you visit this visiting center. And actually there are routes along the way that tell you a little bit about Harriet's journey from Maryland to Philadelphia. I've always admired Harriet Tubman. I always admired her inner knowing that she in fact was not meant to be enslaved. I admired her, her strength, her courage, her commitment for freedom for all, not just for herself. And what this trip did for me was it just solidified for me the deep appreciation that I have for her and for what I call our sacred intelligence, that inner knowing that directs our path. But I want to just share with you about this window that I gained into what happened, to what she, in fact, dealt with during her time. You see, Harriet believed that freedom was a birthright and she couldn't rest until she freed other people. 
Harriet got to freedom and she looked around and she said, wait a minute, my mother is still enslaved. My brothers are still enslaved. Her father was actually a free man. So Harriet knew even though she had traveled through a dangerous territory to get to freedom, she couldn't rest that she was free. So she went back and got her family. And interestingly enough, the first time she went back, her brothers were too afraid to travel with her. But what did Harriet do? She decided if they couldn't come along with her, she would take other people. Same thing happened. Harriet got married before she ran for freedom. And when she returned to get her husband, he had married someone else. Now understand this. She indeed was crushed as any of us would be because life circumstances often get in the way of the work that we're doing. However, she decided if he wasn't coming, she would still free other folks. She didn't get caught up in the things that were going on around her. She stayed true to the course. And as a result, she helped to free over 70 people on the trips that she took going back and forth. And then after that, Harriet still didn't rest. She worked for the military. She was a suffragist. She was a nurse. And what I want to say about her working for the military, during her time there, she actually helped to lead a militia group that freed over 700 people. Can you imagine this five foot black woman who was born into a system of enslavement who said, no, I will not tolerate this. This one woman is responsible for freeing that many people because she was committed and because she stayed the course. And so I wonder about those of us who are doing this work, those of us who say that we want to dismantle racism, those of us who say that we want to create a world where racial equity and equity in general exists for everyone. How do we stay the course? Because our lives are different because of Harriet Tubman. And I want to just say our lives, all of our lives, it doesn't matter our color. It's different because of Harriet Tubman. Because you heard me say that she was also a suffragist. She could have said, like Susan B. Anthony, who was a suffragist, who was concerned about women's rights, and I applaud her for that. But she didn't understand the intersectionality. She didn't understand that if she fought for enslaved people, if she were also an abolitionist, when we gather together as a group, we are more powerful. There is an intersectionality. And so I understand when people say, I am working with this particular group over here. And so I'm focused on that group. I get it. I'm focused on dismantling racism. But I also have to look at the intersectionality. That's why you hear me talk about other things like gun control. Or you might hear me talk about women's rights and abortion rights because we're not separated from one another. 
And so I want you to be encouraged and I want you to believe that change is possible because when I stood outside of the Dorchester County City Hall where the enslaved people were brought there to be sold, when I stood in that place, what I realized is that Harriet saw something that the rest of the world could not see. She saw this day. And that's what it means to have faith that we can change a system. We may not see complete racial equity in our day and age, but it will come one day. Things are different than they were in 1865 because Harriet could see it. Harriet believed it. And so I want to invite you to think about what is it that you see? What future do you envision? What do you believe? And then have faith that that thing that you are envisioning will come to pass if you put your all in it, just as Harriet Tubman did. So today we're going to be taking a look at how to answer the call. In this particular case, how to answer the call of racism, dismantling racism. Where is the intersectionality with so many things that are going on in life? Where's the intersectionality? And so we must be consistent in reminding ourselves of the significance of intersectionality. The systems and ideologies that run the world took centuries to construct and they continue to develop over time. And so the symptoms of these constructs cannot be assumed to be any less nuanced. So today, I'm going to be talking with my guest, Jennifer Brown. And we're going to be looking at this idea of how privilege calls us to activism. And Jennifer will share how being a gay woman does not stop her from acknowledging and using her white privilege to challenge racism. Jennifer, I will tell you a little bit about her and then we'll have to take a quick break. But Jennifer is an award-winning entrepreneur, speaker, author, and diversity and inclusion expert who's deeply compassionate or passionate about building more inclusive workplaces. Jennifer has written a couple of books and actually she's co-authored one book as well, but her book, Inclusion, Diversity, um, The New Workplace and the Will to Change was written in 2017, and then she wrote How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging, Where Everyone Can Thrive in 2019, which sold over 50,000 copies. And then she wrote a second edition to that, because Jennifer is staying the course. She is committed to equity and inclusion. And so after the break, we are going to talk with Jennifer Brown about what she is doing with CEOs across the world, helping them to engage in this work of equity and inclusion. But we're going to dig right in as well on taking a look at how racism shows up as well. So we will be right back to continue our discussion with Jennifer Brown. This is the Dismantle Racism Show. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. 
Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Welcome back to the Dismantle Racism Show. And I want to welcome my guest today, Jennifer Brown. Jennifer, thank you so much for being here today. Carolyn, thank you so much. And what an opening. I feel like all the all the feelings right now. I feel so inspired and called and accountable and uh, everything we're going to talk about today. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for being here. And and I'm glad you, you feel inspired because I have to tell you, when I went to see this, this wonderful museum, I just, you know, for people like you and I who do this work all the time, we need that inspiration. Yeah, we do. We absolutely need the reminders because aren't there days when it just gets exhausting and you want to say, ah, you know, <laughs> why am I doing this? And, all the time and and then when I go and I see someone I mean can you imagine having to run run for your life mm. and then to run through swamps mm. dogs chasing you with uh you know snakes I don't, I don't like snakes snakes in the water snakes in the I like like all of that and we know that there are people who do that today yeah we have to still in ways run from their countries Right. In conditions like that. And so I was so inspired and people will hear me talk about this for a few more episodes on the show by Harriet Summon. And then the other thing that I want to encourage you, especially you, Jennifer, if you, if you travel to DC, there's a play called the American prophet with Frederick Douglass Ooh. must see that. Okay. So 
I'm sharing that for Jennifer, but I'm sharing that for everybody on here. If you're in DC, please see this play because Jennifer, at the end of that play, there's a call to action for us, Mm. particularly for folks like you and I, Mm -hmm. but, but for everybody. And I'm not going to spoil it for you, but it's a, it's a musical, you know, there's talking and, and music and all that. And by the end of it, I, I was, I, I felt like I had been called all over mm. again. I felt the same way I did when I was called to ministry. So, but enough about my experience there, Jennifer, let's talk about you, Jennifer, you know, look, you are so committed to the work of equity and inclusion. And before we get into really how you use your white privilege and the, the conversations around being gay as well, right? And and using, uh, and what that sort of does, right? Being a gay person, the oppression that happens there. Before we get into that though, tell me a little bit about what led you to even wanting to do this work because, you know, it's not easy work. So Yeah, I don't, I don't think I had a a name for it. You know, back when I started, we, we only actually said diversity. We didn't have the I, we didn't have the E, we didn't have the V. Um, You know, we were in the very, very early days and I, all I know, so I was a performing artist, an opera singer. I'm a trained um, professional vocalist and I lost my voice um, and I had to get surgery and you know, some people know my story, but I had to stop singing and I was deprived of my voice. I had to find it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and at the same time, I was beginning to come out professionally and personally, this was in my twenties and, uh, try to find my way and recognizing that, wow, I had grown up with all this privilege in so many ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yet this was my first in a way taste of being in a community where, as I would learn, We are, you know, all the things that we know that happen to LGBTQ people that always have that continue to. And yet um, my place, the intersectionality of me, meaning, you know, taking a sort of page from Kimberly Crenshaw's definition and adding a piece to it is how I was, my LGBTQ experience was mitigated. It was informed by the other identities that I carry, you know, and Putting those, so I didn't put those pieces. Say more about that. Say yeah. more about what you mean by that. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't know this when I was young, right? I don't think we understand this. And and honestly, the conversation was so in its infancy, at least in my world, maybe not in yours, but I just think we didn't we didn't have the language to parse these things. But now, looking back, I really understand. I was first of all, I was my voice was not being used in the right way. I yeah. and that was the big truth, right? That I needed to deploy it differently. Mm -hmm. And then I thought my voice would need to be deployed as an LGBTQ person, right? And so I became very active in the workplace advocacy and equality movement Mm -hmm. um, and would reinvent myself into an organizational development consultant, a leadership consultant, um, and eventually find my way to DEI. But really what I would come to realize is I was meant to give voice to the voiceless in the mm. organizational system. Yeah. And that was, that was me because I was closeted mm. and I was also female in a male dominated business world and struggled to feel that sense of belonging, the sense of equity, uh, and yet had to kind of find myself and really come to understand that, wait, my role here 
much like yours, Carolyn, is mm -hmm. to build the container and space and sort of hold a conversation mm -hmm. and, and locate myself as a change agent within that. Yeah. And um, I always cared about making the world a better place. I mean, I, I think as a performer, it never quite enabled me to tap into that mm. piece, but who I am more broadly than just being an artist is somebody who, who I always knew my path would be quite non-traditional. I would not be an employee. I would not have a job that I don't care about. Like that was not, I needed to always be in nonprofits. I needed to be in community organizations. I spent my twenties working in nonprofits at the same time as I was a, as a singer. So I knew I would need to be extremely purpose-driven in my work, but we didn't have DEI. I didn't even know that existed. And I stumbled into it and then recognized that, okay, so if I could give voice to the voiceless, if I could voice the unvoiced and I could tackle these things and, and do that, it felt so deeply satisfying and so yeah. important. Mm -hmm. And I felt so uniquely equipped um, and I don't know why, who knows, I, it, maybe personality. I, I have a lot of patience. I have a lot of, uh, a lot of um, flexibility as a, as a human. I am able to love so many different people at various stages in their journey and, and love myself too. And I just felt I have so, had so much to give to this conversation. So the work found me. I'm sure you think about but, it that way. But, too. But I, well, actually, so I, I feel I call to this yeah, yeah. and anything. And so you, you said a lot in there that I want to <laughs> try to try to unpack a little bit because one, um, I think that we're all uniquely designed to hmm. do the, the work. We just have to find our way of doing it. We enter into this world with a particular purpose, I think. And it's interesting that you said that you're using your voice in this way, but perhaps as a opera singer, maybe you wouldn't have been, you, you said something related to that, like mm -hmm. it was a different mm -hmm. way of using it. And what I found interesting in this play on Frederick Douglass, there were white people in this play as well, playing roles. And I am, and I, and I found myself drawn and intrigued by their participation in this because I know that they have to be transformed by doing the work they were doing just by the way they were engaged in this work and the call to action at the end they were into this thing right and and I wanted to highlight that because oftentimes people think well what can I do in my corner of the world and here are these actors who decided that they are going to be in this play that is so magnificent. Mm -hmm. And even the two people who brought the play together, a black man and a white man, and the white man is actually a country singer. Ah. And he wrote the music for it. Awesome. <laughs> so, so I just want to share that because for anybody listening, you can find in your own corner of the world ways of answering this call to dismantle racism, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but I wanted to also go back, uh, Jennifer, to this idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion. One of the problems that I often have as a person of color with that diversity, equity, and inclusion banner is that it's much more comfortable to talk about any other issue other than race. Mm -hmm. So what's been your experience with that? Uh, whether it's been what you do 
personally or what you've seen in the world? Because you've worked with a lot of companies in this area. Mm-hmm. You're right. You know, we sometimes I'll hear it. It manifests as, oh, Jennifer, we have diversity of thought <laughs> in our organization, right? Or, you know, global diversity. Yes. Yes to those things mattering. Uh, but there's an avoidance, like you say, of speaking about the hard stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I do think that's true. I think it shifted a bit in 2020 yeah. with the murder of George Floyd and the the escalation of this very truthful conversation, right, that we, I think, hadn't ever really had mm-hmm. um, and, and had not put such a fine point on it. Yes, we had had you know, the black employee resource group in corporate America, we'd had the Latinx or Hispanic group, we'd had the Asian American group. So we'd had ethnicity based efforts mm-hmm. and communities, but it hadn't been, um, it hadn't been as hard hitting, truthful, raw, mm-hmm. and that really needed to happen. It really, it, it needed to, the wake up needed to occur. And it, and I think it did occur for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the question really, the, this, the discomfort was part of the learning and the growth and the evolution that you saw both organizations and individuals go through. I think a lot of allyship was awakened mm-hmm. that year and the next year. And now we're in 2022 and we can talk about that and sort of how, you know, we have to keep our foot propped in the door, keep that door open for change, right? Yeah. Because yes. right? I wanted to ask you about that. I know we'll have to take a break in just a minute, but have you, have you noticed, because according to the research, like in 2020, it was like, oh, up here. And now it's, mm. it's sort of going down. So has that been your experience? Yeah. Well, I, I think the companies that were already doing this are, are still doing it, right? And, and upping their efforts and budgets and all that. And there's tons of new organizations that are doing it for the first time. Yeah. Uh, so I don't see that flagging. I do think we live in complex times with so many competing priorities and, you know, DEI was also always the nice to have, and then it became the must have. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think we've got to keep the pressure on and the urgency on if people go back to sleep, uh, we can't let that happen. So I think that's why we exist, you know, and, and our community of practitioners and advocates is, is, is trying to continue to say, look, this is the new, this is the current, the, the, our current state and our future. If we don't get this right, there's so much harm that's going to not only be perpetuated, but continue to lose out on generations mm-hmm. of different identities and their contributions. And, you know, it's only going to hurt organizations and business. And, you know, anyone that doesn't know that isn't doing their job. Right, right. Well, that's a perfect place for us <laughs> to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation a bit about uh, your work with organizations. And then I really want to jump in a little bit um, in terms of having you to to kind of share with us what you understand your role to be as a, a white woman of privilege in the role of dismantling racism. But we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7 Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Are you passionate about the conversation around racism? 
Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. back with my guest today, Jennifer Brown. Um, Jennifer, before the break, you were talking about the importance of helping uh, organizations and businesses to understand really what they're missing out on. Mm. They don't include uh, a diverse group of people in terms of race and ethnicity. What are you finding to be the most challenging part of doing this work with organizations? Mm. Where do I start? <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a lot of deflections and denial of, you know, is there a problem? Um, you know, I don't want to be required to meet what is called maybe in some circles, quotas or goals or targets. Um, that's, that's somehow false or artificial or um, that doesn't allow me to hire the best person. You know, there, there's a lot of ways that resistance shows up. and. Um, I think uh, it's it's fear of change. It is fear of loss of control and power, which ironically, you and I know, actually the sharing of power magnifies it. Yes. You know, it creates an exponential benefit and it actually changes the person sharing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I find that that's been true for me, uh, but I, I still kind of come up against this questioning, the skepticism of, you know, what is what is the problem? There is no problem. I don't have anything to say about it. I don't have anything to contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not diverse, and therefore I don't know, you know, anything about this. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's just fascinating to kind of hear all of that and and tackle it. Really, you kind of need to, as a consultant, you've got to meet people where they're at and kind of really and analyze quickly, where is this coming from? And mm-hmm. what, what kind of information could I give here that would help to illuminate something for someone yeah. and kind of loosen that resistance so that they can have that aha moment to say, ah, like someone just said to me, oh, this is apropos of what we were just talking about. Um, there was a C-suite leader in one of my audiences, virtual audiences for a keynote. And he said, you know, you came on screen in front of 200 of our leaders. And I thought to myself, how tone deaf to hire this woman hmm. on this topic. And uh, meanwhile, I do my keynote. He is, he's um, 
inspired and excited and 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 that quickly transforms through what I say and, and what we do together. But um, that's real. And that's said about me. It's said about a lot of other folks. Mm-hmm. And I know that. And I, I, I guess my personal process is I sort of push through that uh, because I know that what I have to give is so important and it must be communicated. So just, was that because you're a white woman? Yeah. Yep. And so it actually brings up some interesting things because if we get down to the nitty gritty of this, you know, it, it, it shows that we all can do this work, right? That, mm. that it's really important for us all to be engaged in this work. And I also understand, I don't know what that person's racial uh, or ethnic uh, background was, but I also understand what the where the question might have come from because what happens often if we're going to be really real about this my experience has been a couple of things particularly uh as it relates to me as a woman of color doing this work I find that often companies will want to hire a white person to do the work and pay them more than they will pay a person of color to do the work when I not only have the credentials I have the experience that goes along with it. Mm. But secondly, if uh, there are times when I'm talking about this work that it's like, oh, I can just hear the violins playing because they think that I'm making this work up. And and I would imagine that you don't have to go through that piece. I hope you don't. Mm. Um, but I I want to just applaud you and encourage our listeners for continuing to do the work because it takes all of us doing the work and continuing to learn. And it's not that you're speaking on my behalf. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but I believe that there's an understanding that you have about the process of inclusion that would be valuable Mm -hmm. to helping people to look at their resistances. So I just want to to offer that. And then I also want to just ask you, because I know we'll run out of time, Talk to me a little bit about how you understand the way that you present to the world as a white privileged woman. Because, you know, people look at you and they don't know anything about you, Mm -mm. right? And, you know, you and I know just based on our, our age that people also stereotype the way they think gay women look Mm -hmm. like. Mm -hmm. And so you, and, and plus you and I kind of talked before the, the show as well. And so you present as a white, privileged, you know, um, uh, heterosexual woman. Mm -hmm. So how do you use that? Or do you think that it's a part of the conversation? Oh yeah. I use it all the time. I mean, so in the, the LGBTQ community, this is called passing privilege. Mm -hmm. So it means that you can pass through the world as heterosexual. Um, And I'm aware of that. And that's precisely why within the first five minutes of speaking, usually I'm able to disclose something that's not visible about me because it doesn't, it's not for me. You know, I, I, I honestly kind of don't feel like I need to do it anymore for me because I've been on a long road with my identity and, and really made so much peace with that and really celebration of that and great and gratitude, honestly. 
but, but I do it for the person in the back of the room that has never seen somebody that looks like me being as brave or as courageous or as honest, mm-hmm. you know, I, I shine that light for that parent with the kid who just came out to them or just asked to be called a different name and different pronouns. Mm-hmm. You know, I do it because of that legacy piece. And I may never know the difference that these things make, but making our invisible visible and being that Trojan horse that can get through the castle walls, so to speak, and and sort of unleash the truth Mm. because we were able to get into that place. You know, some of us can, the the truth is some of us can get in the two places that others can't. And sometimes we get given, um, we have permission to do things. You and I have different levels of permission to say things. Mm -hmm. We might also be believed differently. You may be called positively biased towards a message that you're sharing that Mm -hmm. I may not have that kind of barrier. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, so it's, it's, this is the, these are the things we have to understand about our, our identity as messengers that, Mm -hmm. you know, each of us has our own version of the rooms we can get in. Right. And when we're in those rooms, the question to me, the measure of us as humans is what do we do with that time? What do we do with that access and that permission? What do we do with the package that we were born into, which we don't have a lot to do with, right? We were given this, it just mm-hmm. is happenstance. It's the accident of birth. But to me, it comes with a set of directions. <laughs> I feel very much that I am, I am following my directions because this was why I was given this. I mean, what is the point of being given this if I'm not using it? All right. So you're Harriet number two, I'm calling. Because <laughs> really. Oh my goodness. If only. That would, oh. that would, right. That's, that's the thing I'm saying. Oh. Like, I could just be a little bit of that. Right. But here's the thing. But what you are re- reminding me of is what I said about Harriet. You tell your story. You do this work because you have an obligation to free other people, even yeah. if it's freeing their mind. Right. Yes. So and that's <laughs> why you are doing the work. We the, the work that we do. I don't know from from your perspective, but this is often very painful. Oh, yeah. It's very, very painful. Mm. And it's painful because I'm reminded every day of who I am as a person of color when I walk these United States streets, or actually when I travel anywhere, I'm reminded who I am. But also, it's not just about what happens to me, it's what happens to other folks. And so I, I am encouraged by the work that you're doing. But let's talk about being gay. Mm. And we know that gay people often experience a lot of oppression. But one of the things that I will hear gay people say, and I've heard this for years, Mm. uh, when I'm talking about my plight as a person of color, oh, I I get it. I understand it because I'm gay. Mm. Tell me what you think about (laughs) that. I got lots to say about that. I know you do. (laughs) I want to know, what do you think about that? Yeah. You know, Terrilyn, this gets to intersectionality, right? Um, And privilege, because there are many in the gay community who have cisgender male privilege, right? They are presenting male, by the way. And I will say that because I have transgender male friends who talk about the male privilege that they step into. Mm. And I hope everybody's minds just didn't explode, but this is like where it gets really interesting. Yeah. And I have trans woman friends who lose levels of status when they come out and present as female in the world, right? So that's the most fascinating to me kind of lesson of the differential 
in how we walk through the world. And, and this all applies across the board. So I, I might have white male privilege in the gay community. I might have, um, you know, able, able privilege. I may have passing privilege. Uh, so anyway, I think as you get deeper into this, um, you're right that the empathy, the, the focus we need to have is where do I sit in a given system? And if it is a marginalized community historically, I may still benefit from the systems that reward parts of my identity. And then it is incumbent on me to now lift up and platform and decenter perhaps my voice. You know, I used to be the only one in the room, you know, in the old days where I was, the, I literally, there was only gay white men around me in the, in the circles that I was in, in the corporate world. And then that has changed over time, but it's still going on. I mean, I think there are people that don't, even if you are in a marginalized community, it does not mean that you're done with your own inclusion journey. That's right. Right. That's, that's, that's the key. <laughs> I, I mean, listen, it's right. It's right for all of us. And, and I often talk about, I have, uh, uh, you know, this one who is very, very dear to me, like this white male gay friend. And I often have to say to him, like, that's your white male privilege. Yes, yes. Up. Like, and he is so like, uh, I mean, love him to pieces. He's so uh, engaged. He's so, I mean, for, for years he's been, this isn't new for him, but mm. there are times when we talk about doing certain things, I'll say, do you do understand that that's because you're a white male that you could do X, Y, and Z. I can, it's different yeah. for me, right? Yeah. Or even I have, you know, maybe uh, a black male friend who's gay. It's still, so yes, we do. And even as a black woman, I have to look at that. I might have a different privilege because of socioeconomic status that some folks don't have. And so mm -hmm. I appreciate you saying, look, we, it's different. But the other thing is, and I know that we have to take a quick break, but even if we look at the intersectionality mm. in the gay community, mm. one thing that's significant is there are more people of color who are transgender, who are murdered or violence against them than there mm. are white people so when we look at this intersectionality we have to take a look at that we could even talk about what happened during the aids crisis right you know uh my understanding historically is that many of the white men who were diagnosed with aids and hiv intentionally went out and slept with men of color to give them that so there's oh. a whole bunch yeah, yeah, yeah. of stuff that we don't even talk about. Ugly, right? ugly, it's ugly. It's yeah. ugly, ugly. So there is that intersectionality, but we do have to take a quick break and we are going to be right back with my guest, Jennifer Brown. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. In a post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. 
Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about help to advocate for all of us. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We are back with the Dismantle Racism show. Before the break, we were talking about the intersectionality of um, really being a part of the LGBTQIA community and race. And Jennifer, I I ended with like sort of like a a bum. (laughs) And I want to give you an opportunity if you wanted to just comment about that before continuing with our discussion. Yeah, thank you. I mean, no community... Uh, is without its work to do. And I, I refer to it as the diversity within the diversity is all of our jobs to elevate. And particularly those of us in communities that benefit from relatively more ease and safety in the world. It is, um, the message really is now who is missing from, you know, and, and I'll say one community, which by the way, there's, it's like hard to even say that because it reduces so many identities into one. I mean, look at LGBTQIA, there right. is so much, so many different experiences being lived um, and the way the world treats us, even within that long acronym. Right. Um, you know, the world and workplaces have collapsed our identities um, and we have needed to do that so that we could be seen. Mm. But now is the time, I think, to pull these identities apart and think really deeply about our allyship. And I'll say that I feel like an ally, like most days feel like an aspiring ally because you're only an ally if someone in an affected community calls you an ally. Mm -hmm. But I feel these days, my work is of allyship. And I, yes, I, I'm in a couple marginalized identities, you know, and, and certainly have struggled in those senses, but I feel called now to shine a light on and be a part of ensuring that we are having a complete conversation about those who are suffering the most, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and really feeling called to activate whatever I can um, to get into those rooms to make sure that those, those voices, those stories, those experiences, the, the research is shared, mm-hmm. and that I am a strong voice holding other people accountable that look, look like I do. Right. In many ways to take action. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 I guess it's not where I thought I would be because I thought I would always be fighting from that mm. marginalized community that I identified so deeply with. And, and that taught me so much and teaches me so much. Yeah. But these days I feel like I've sort of gone into the other side and I'm working to get my people, so to speak. I'm kind of trying to gather 
that community to say, actually, you are not only needed, you're necessary to the change equation and trying to kind of explain what that looks like. Because I think there's a lot of people who are frozen in fear, um, self-doubt, do I belong? Am I welcome? What can I do? I'm not this, I'm not that. You know, Mm -hmm. that needs to be fleshed out so that we can go further together. You know, I, I, I just want to tell you, I just really love this idea of fleshing it out because I, like you, have often had an issue with LGBTQIA, all the, <laughs> same, the same, like, I'm, I'm like, it's not the same. No, it's not the same, but because of how our society is structured. Yeah. And so those are the things that we have to begin to unpack. And mm-hmm. I hope that my listeners are hearing you clearly that just because you're a part of a marginalized community doesn't mean that you don't have your, your work to do and what you are reinforcing. And I love this is because we all have a gift and we all show up in this world Mm. based on who we are and there's work for us to do. And what I hear you saying is that you've evolved over time and what you focused on. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine after George Floyd was murdered, maybe your focus on even racial equity, you know, was, was spiked a little bit more. Is that a fair statement to say? Absolutely. And it goes back further than that. It was, I remember kind of the day, it was the Women's March in 2017, uh, where I think we we started to grapple with you know, Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote of the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I really deeply in my heart began to (laughs) think about that and say, maybe not, maybe not. And I didn't know what to do with myself, but I gathered amongst mainly, you know, white women at a march, right. And reflected then and would come to learn many women of color didn't feel comfortable gathering and didn't feel comfortable and didn't feel welcome and hadn't been included. And, and so, you know, it causes you to go back through everything you've learned with a different lens. Once you learn something like that and you, you dig and you say, what was I not told? What was I not taught? What, what did I not realize Mm -hmm. in my strategy and in my approach and in my view of, of my own liberation, but Mm -hmm. who's not alongside me in their liberation and who, who have I not understood the experience of? So, well, it, it, you know, it's interesting, um, Jennifer, that's been one of the problems with, with women of color and being called feminist, which mm. is why our term is womanist. Womanist, exactly. It's womanist because we believe in uh, equity for all people and not just for one group of people. And so we've often felt like white women didn't understand mm-hmm. our our cry. And that's why I went back to Susan B. Anthony. She and Frederick Douglass, like they, they would butt heads about mm. this, right? See what happens when we learn like a bit of history. I mean, I knew that part about them already, but um, our history is so important for helping mm-hmm. us engage in this work. But I wonder, uh, Jennifer, if you could really quickly, because I know um, you talk about uh, reframing the concept of privilege as uh, as a call in to leaders rather than a call out. Could you speak about that just a little bit? Yeah, I thank you for asking. I think we have to have a new conversation, a different conversation, because the one we've been having is those people have it and I don't have it. It's sort of this binary, which is never true. The world is not a, you know, not as when we look at gender identity, we're learning, you know, it's, it's a continuum of identity, right? And we're all sort of somewhere along this 
path, but to say some people have something and to sort of dismiss them as a result of that, I think has resulted, whether intended or not, in people with a lot of power to shift things, saying, well, I'm not, I, I don't see a path to being involved with this. I don't know how to step in. I don't know what to use in myself. So I think redefining it as any aspect of us that gives us permission, access, uh, power, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, trust, automatic trust, mm-hmm. safety, mm-hmm. comfort, mm-hmm. Uh, knowledge, seniority, education. Um, you know, if we do the privilege walk, I don't know, Tarlin, if you've ever done that, it's a really powerful exercise, but there are so many so many things yeah. that, that enable us to do certain things that others can't. And so if we, if we go forward with that definition, now all of a sudden we can all be activating something that we have, we have access to, like right, right in front of us, right in us, we have right. it. And, right. um, and so it's no excuses. Mm-hmm. And this is not like meant to be, oh, you're a bad person or I'm going to shame you. It's not even about that. It's actually, what can I, how can I put my shoulder to the wheel for equity how can I use my voice? How can I challenge people that look like me? How can I get into that room? How can I have that conversation? How can I question that? Um, how can I step back so that somebody else may step forward? These things are, to me are very, um, they're straightforward. And they're, they're tactics that I think resonate with the business world because it's something people can do. And there's a bias towards action in that world. Um, and I think opposite of shame, which sort of which sort of like grounds us to a halt, you know, it's sort of a, I'm a bad person, therefore I can't really do anything. It's more of a, Hey, this is an invitation to, you know, do something positive that can level that playing field and you have access to it right now. And it's very actually simple. As long as we can explain it in a way that somebody says, I can do that. That's something I can do. I can do that tomorrow. Yeah. So Jennifer, our time no, is no, too uh, short. so much more to say. I want to encourage people to get your books and um, Jennifer, tell people how they can find out more about you, have you to come in and work with their company, get your books. Totally. Please, everybody, if, if you're an employee in an organization or a leader and they need our help, let us know at jenniferbrownconsulting.com. My team is incredible. Uh, and uh, we help organizations get their strategy in line. Uh, we help, you know, guide the, the buy-in that and around the resistance that happens. So please like lean on us, let us know. I keynote and speak a lot. So check me out on jenniferbrownspeaks.com. On Twitter, I'm at jenniferbrown. Uh, Jennifer Brown speaks on Instagram. Um, we're on LinkedIn, Jennifer Brown Consulting. And then check out my podcast, The Will to Change, Terrilyn. And I hope maybe I can repurpose this wonderful conversation over there. Uh, and also the books, I'm on my four, soon to be fourth book. Uh, the latest is called um, How to Be an Inclusive Leader. And it's super easy read, fast, direct, uh, empathetic, kind, gracious, and yet strong and firm in terms of what we really need to do in the world. So thank you so much for having me. Well, Jennifer, I want to thank you uh, for being on the show. And I want to thank my listeners for being here today. And I want to invite my listeners to stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Until next time, bye for now.
NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Calling all pet lovers. Pet Avengers, assemble! On the Professionals and Animal Lovers show, we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong. It mirrors that bond between pets and their owners. Through this program, we come together to learn, educate, and advocate. Join us live every Wednesday at 2 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. post-COVID world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be frank about health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 